Hello and welcome back to Bible Beginning to End, where we are reading through the scriptures together from Genesis to Revelation. There won't be much commentary, but there will be questions along the way so that you can really sit with the scriptures and see what God is trying to tell you through them. Use this as a time for devotion, for meditation on the scriptures, however you want. But the important thing is to really sit with them and hear what God is saying to you about these words. We are going through Deuteronomy right now, and last week we finished up Deuteronomy 9. And Deuteronomy, we are revisiting what has happened so far on the Israelites' journey as Moses tells them where they've been and prepares them to enter the Promised Land. Last time we ended with Deuteronomy 9 where they retold the story of the golden calf where God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments, and down below on Mount Sinai, the Israelites are worshiping a golden calf. Deuteronomy 10 picks right up where Deuteronomy 9 left off, and this section is called a new copy of the covenant. Deuteronomy 10 verse 1. At that time, the Lord said to me, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. Also make a wooden ark, a sacred chest to store them in. Come up to me on the mountain, and I will write on the tablets the same words that were on the ones you smashed. Then place the tablets in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood and cut two stone tablets like the first two. Then I went up the mountain with the tablets in my hand. Once again, the Lord wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablets and gave them to me. They were the same words the Lord had spoken to you from the heart of the fire on the day you were assembled at the foot of the mountain. Then I turned and came down the mountain and placed the tablets in the Ark of the Covenant, which I had made, just as the Lord commanded me. And the tablets are still there in the Ark. The people of Israel set out from the wells of the people of Jacon and traveled to Maserah where Aaron died and was buried. His son Eliezer ministered as high priest in his place. Then they journeyed to Gudgada and from there to Jotbathah, a land with many brooks and streams. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and to stand before the Lord as his ministers, and to pronounce blessings in his name. These are their duties to this day. This is why the Levites have no share of property or possession of land among the other Israelite tribes. The Lord himself is their special possession, as the Lord your God told them. As for me, I stayed on the mountain in the Lord's presence for forty days and nights, as I had done the first time. And once again the Lord listened to my plea and agreed not to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, Get up and resume the journey and lead the people to the land I swore to give their ancestors so they may take possession of it. Okay, so pause there at the end of that section and just reflect on that story again. We've heard it before, but what is it revealing to us about God What are we learning about the Israelites from this story? 
What are we learning about Moses in this story? And how can we take what we've learned in this story and apply it to our own lives? The next section is a call to love and obedience. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Okay, so pause there. What are we learning from this? What did Moses just say? The Israelites are asking this question, what does God require of me? And what is Moses telling us right here? Is this a good summary of what God requires of us? Does Jesus reaffirm this message in the New Testament of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and following him? How can you apply this to your daily life? How can you serve God in this way each day? Verse 14. Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the objects of his love, and he chose you their descendants, above all other nations, as is evident today. Therefore, change your hearts and stop being stubborn. So pause there. What are we learning about God right here? Did he create some of the world or every single thing in the world? And then what does it mean when Moses says, yet the Lord chose you to be the object of his love? Why is that so significant? How can we live into that promise and realization? If God chose us, people, human beings, to be the object of his love, what does that mean for us? Verse 17, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love. To foreigners, for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him. Your oaths must be in his name alone. He alone is your God, the only one who is worthy of your praise, the one who has done these mighty miracles that you have seen with your own eyes. When your ancestors went down into Egypt, there were only 70 of them. But now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. So pause there. What did we learn in this section about God's character? Verse 
Who does he care about? How does he provide daily needs for those who are suffering? How does he rescue people? And God's character and actions toward the less fortunate, how do those impact how we should see the less fortunate? And then finally, that last little section where Moses is saying, but now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Why is that a significant declaration? Where have we heard that phrasing? What is that a part of? What covenant, what promise is being fulfilled here? Okay, Deuteronomy 11 picks right up where that last verse left off. Deuteronomy 11, 1. You must love the Lord your God and always obey his requirements, decrees, regulations, and commands. Keep in mind that I'm not talking now to your children who have never experienced the discipline of the Lord your God or seen his greatness and his strong hand and powerful arm. They didn't see the miraculous signs and wonders he performed in Egypt against Pharaoh and all his land. They didn't see what the Lord did to the armies of Egypt and to their horses and chariots, how he drowned them in the Red Sea as they were chasing you. He destroyed them, and they have not recovered to this very day. Your children didn't see how the Lord cared for you in the wilderness until you arrived there. They didn't see what he did to Dothan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, a descendant of Reuben, when the earth opened its mouth in the Israelite camp and swallowed them, along with their households and tents and every living thing that belonged to them. But you have seen the Lord perform all these mighty deeds with his own eyes. So pause there. Why is Moses making this point to say, your children haven't seen these things? I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you who have seen them with your own eyes. Why is that significant? Why is it important that he makes this point? You've actually seen these things. Why is it important for us to remember the things that we have seen God do? And what are those things that you have seen God do that you can hold on to? The next section is the blessings of obedience. Therefore, be careful to obey every command I am giving you today so you may have strength to go in and take over the land you are about to enter. If you obey, you will enjoy a long life in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors and to you their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land you are about to enter and take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, where you planted your seed and made irrigation ditches with your foot, as in a vegetable garden. Rather, the land you will soon take over is a land of hills and valleys with plenty of rain, a land that the Lord your God cares for. He watches over it through each season of the year. If you carefully obey the commands I am giving you today, and if you love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and soul, then he will send 
the rains in their proper seasons, the early and late rains, so you can bring in your harvest of grain, new wine, and olive oil. He will give you lush pasture land for your livestock, and you yourselves will have all you want to eat. But be careful. Don't let your heart be deceived so that you turn away from the Lord and serve and worship other gods. If you do, the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will shut up the sky and hold back the rain and the ground will fail to produce its harvests. Then you will quickly die in that good land the Lord is giving you. So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are going on the road, when you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors. So pause there. Why is it so important for the Israelites to write these things down and talk about them to each other and to their children and pass them on? Did they have a written word like we do now? Or were they relying on this oral passage to keep the word of God strong in the community and in the world? And looking at us today, is it still important for us to memorize God's word and write down the scriptures and share them with our family and pass them on to other people? And what is Moses saying here for the Israelites? What are the blessings they will receive for their obedience? And shifting focus to us here in present day, what are the blessings we receive if we are obedient? Does obedience and faith in God equal prosperity and blessings here on earth? Or are our blessings more eternal, where we will see the fruits of our labors here on earth in heaven one day? Verse 22, be careful to obey all these commands I am giving you. Show love to the Lord your God by walking in his ways and holding tightly to him. Then the Lord will drive out all the nations ahead of you, though they are much greater and stronger than you, and you will take over their land. Wherever you set foot, that land will be yours. Your frontiers will stretch from the wilderness in the south to to Lebanon in the north, and from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you, for the Lord your God will cause the people to fear and dread you as he promised wherever you go in the whole land. Look, today I am giving you the choice between a blessing and a curse. You will be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. But you will be cursed if you reject the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from him and worship gods you have not known before. So pause there. Why is it important that Moses reminds them this is a choice? 
does God still give us a choice today? And again, does that mean that if we choose to follow God, we will be blessed here on earth and see prosperity and money and all these worldly things be given to us? And does it mean that if we don't follow God, we'll be cursed here on earth and our life will be bad? Or is it more eternal for us? Does it mean that if we follow God, we will be blessed eternally? And if we don't follow God, there will be eternal suffering. Verse 29, when the Lord your God brings you into the land and helps you take possession of it, you must pronounce the blessing at Mount Gerizim and the curse at Mount Ebal. These two mountains are west of the Jordan River in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Jordan Valley near the town of Gilgal, not far from the Oaks of Morah. For you are about to cross the Jordan River to take over the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you take that land and are living in it, you must be careful to obey all the decrees and regulations I am giving you today. Okay, so that was the end of Deuteronomy 11, and now we're switching into Deuteronomy 12, which starts a section called the Specific Stipulations of the Covenant. And the first section is the Lord's Chosen Place for Worship. Deuteronomy 12, verse 1. These are the decrees and regulations you must be careful to obey when you live in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. You must obey them as long as you live. When you drive out the nations that live there, you must destroy all the places where they worship their gods, high on the mountains, up on the hills, and under every green tree. Break down their altars and smash their sacred pillars. Burn their Asherah poles and cut down their carved idols. Completely erase the names of their gods. So pause there. Why do you think God is having them do this? Remember, the people who were using these items are not there anymore, so they're not taking them from those people. The Israelites are taking them away from their own site and from their own new space. So why would it be important for them to clear false idols and altars to other gods out of their way? Verse 4, do not worship the Lord your God in the way these pagan peoples worship their gods. Rather, you must seek the Lord your God at the place of worship he himself will choose from among all the tribes, the place where his name will be honored. There you will bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, your offerings to fulfill a vow, your voluntary offerings, and your offerings of the firstborn animals of your herds and flocks. There you and your families will feast in the presence of the Lord your God, and you will rejoice in all you have accomplished because the Lord your God has blessed you. Your pattern of worship will change. Today, all of you are doing as you please, because you have not yet arrived at the place of rest, the land the Lord your God is giving you as your special possession. But you will soon cross the Jordan River, 
and live in the land the Lord your God is giving you. When he gives you rest from all your enemies and you're living safely in the land, you must bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, and your offerings to fulfill a vow to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. You must celebrate there in the presence of the Lord your God with your sons and daughters and all your servants and remember to include the Levites who live in your towns for they will receive no allotment of land among you. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings just anywhere you like. You may do so only at the place the Lord will choose within one of your tribal territories. There you must offer your burnt offerings and do everything I command you. But you may butcher your animals and eat their meat in any town whenever you want. You may freely eat the animals with which the Lord your God blesses you. All of you, whether ceremonially clean or unclean, may eat that meat just as you now eat gazelle and deer. But you must not consume the blood. You must pour it out on the ground like water. But you may not eat your offerings in your hometown neither the tithe of your grain and new wine and olive oil, nor the firstborn of your flocks and herds, nor any offering to fulfill a vow, nor your voluntary offerings, nor your sacred offerings. You must eat these in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose. Eat them there with your children, your servants, and the Levites who live in your towns, celebrating in the presence of the Lord your God in all you do. And be very careful never to neglect the Levites as long as you live in the land. So pause there because I kind of want to go back to the section when Moses said, when you enter the promised land, your worship will change. So how is the Israelites worship changing? Why is the Israelites worship changing? And how will our worship change when we enter our promised land of heaven? How will that affect how we worship God and how we see him and how we live in community and with each other? Verse 20, when the Lord your God expands your territory as he has promised and you have the urge to eat meat, you may freely eat meat whenever you want. It might happen that the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, is a long way from your home. If so, you may butcher any of the cattle, sheep, or goats the Lord has given you, and you may freely eat the meat in your hometown as I have commanded you. Anyone, whether ceremonially clean or unclean, may eat that meat, just as you do now with gazelle and deer. But never consume the blood, for the blood is the life, and you must never consume the lifeblood with the meat. Instead, pour out the blood on the ground like water. Do not consume the blood, so that all may go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what pleases the Lord. So pause there. Why is it important that they not consume the blood of the animals? What reason is Moses giving here? And why does God take lifeblood so seriously? 
Verse 26, take your sacred gifts and your offerings given to fulfill a vow to the place the Lord chooses. You must offer the meat and blood of your burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord your God. The blood of your other sacrifices must be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, but you may eat the meat. Be careful to obey all my commands so that all will go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what is good and pleasing to the Lord your God. When the Lord your God goes ahead of you and destroys the nations and you drive them out and live in their land, do not fall into the trap of following their customs and worshiping their gods. Do not inquire about their gods, saying, How do these nations worship their gods? I want to follow their example. You must not worship the Lord your God the way other nations worship their gods, for they perform for their gods every detestable act that the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters as sacrifices to their gods. So be careful to obey all the commands I give you. You must not add anything to them or subtract anything from them. Okay, so pause there at the end of Deuteronomy 12. Why do you think God tells them not to even ask these people about their gods and the way that they worship? And then what does God tell the Israelites that gives us a little insight into these people and their worship practices? And why do you think God includes that one little piece of information to share with the Israelites about their sacrificial practices. Okay, Deuteronomy 13 is called a warning against idolatry. Suppose there are prophets among you or those who dream dreams about the future and they promise you signs or miracles and the predicted signs or miracles occur. If they then say, come, let us worship other gods, gods you have not known before, do not listen to them. The Lord your God is testing you to see if you truly love him with all your heart and soul. Serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. Obey his commands, listen to his voice and cling to him. The false prophets or visionaries who try to lead you astray must be put to death. For they encourage rebellion against the Lord your God who redeemed you from slavery and brought you out of the land of Egypt. Since they try to lead you astray from the way the Lord your God commanded you to live, you must put them to death. In this way you will purge the evil from among you. So pause there. What does that little section teach us about false prophets? Are you surprised that their predicted signs or miracles might actually occur? Why is this? And then how does God say that they'll know these are false prophets? What will they say after the sign or miracle has occurred? And then how can we discern whether or not what's being told to us is of God or from man, from a false prophet? How are we able to tell the difference? 
verse 6. Suppose someone secretly entices you, even your brother, your son or daughter, your beloved wife, or your closest friend, and says, Let us go worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known. They might suggest that you worship the gods of peoples who live nearby or who come from the ends of the earth. But do not give in or listen. Have no pity and do not spare or protect them. You must put them to death. Strike the first blow yourself and then all the people must join in. Stone the guilty ones to death because they have tried to draw you away from the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of slavery. Then all Israel will hear about it and be afraid and no one will act so wickedly again. So pause there. In this passage, God is telling the Israelites to be careful of idolatry and he's telling them ways they may easily be tricked into idolatry. So I want you to think about modern day, your life right now. What are some areas that are possible pitfalls for you when it comes to idolatry? What are those temptations that make you desire something or someone other than God? Where are those temptations coming from? And how do we fight those temptations? And then how do you feel about what God tells them to do when they find someone who is worshiping false gods? This may be one of those hard passages to wrestle with, so really sit with it and think on it and see what God is telling you. Verse 12, when you begin living in the towns the Lord your God is giving you, you may hear that scoundrels among you are leading their fellow citizens astray by saying, let us go worship other gods, gods you have not known before. In such cases, you must examine the facts carefully. If you find that the report is true and such a detestable act has been committed among you, you must attack that town and completely destroy all its inhabitants, as well as all the livestock. Then you must pile all the plunder in the middle of the open square and burn it. Burn the entire town as a burnt offering to the Lord your God. That town must remain a ruin forever. It may never be rebuilt. Keep none of the plunder that has been set apart for destruction. Then the Lord will turn from his fierce anger and be merciful to you. He will have compassion on you and make you a large nation, just as he swore to your ancestors. The Lord your God will be merciful only if you listen to his voice and keep all his commands that I am giving you today, doing what pleases him. So pause there. Here God lays out a rule for the Israelites and how they're supposed to react when a town has turned from God and is worshiping false gods. But why does he give this instruction that they must make sure all the facts are right before they take any action on this town? And then how do you feel about what God is telling them to do? 
Why do you think this is his instruction? Again, this might be a difficult passage to read. It might make you think about God's character and what we're learning about him. So really sit with it and ask God to reveal the truth about this passage to you. And remember that we're reading all of these things in the context of the New Testament where Jesus' sacrifice really fulfills the Old Covenant and really redeems us and changes the way we interact with the law of the Old Testament. So really take some time to critically think about these things. The final chapter for today is Deuteronomy 14, and it starts with ceremonially clean and unclean animals. Since you are the people of the Lord your God, never cut yourselves or shave the hair above your foreheads in mourning for the dead. You have been set apart as holy to the Lord your God, and he has chosen you from all the nations of the earth to be his own special treasure. You must not eat any detestable animals that are ceremonially unclean. These are the animals you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the addicts, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. You may eat any animal that has completely split hooves and chews the cud. But if the animal doesn't have both, it may not be eaten. So you may not eat the camel, the hare, or the hyrax. They chew the cud, but do not have split hooves, so they are ceremonially unclean for you. And you may not eat the pig. It has split hooves, but does not chew the cud. So it is ceremonially unclean for you. You may not eat the meat of these animals or even touch their carcasses. Of all the marine animals, you may eat whatever has both fins and scales. You may not, however, eat marine animals that do not have both fins and scales. They are ceremonially unclean for you. You may eat any bird that is ceremonially clean. These are the birds you may not eat. The griffin vulture, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon, buzzards of all kinds, ravens of all kinds, the eagle owl, the short-eared owl, the seagull, hawks of all kinds, the little owl, the great owl, the barn owl, the desert owl, the Egyptian vulture, the cormorant, the stork, herons of all kinds, the hoopoe, and the bat. All winged insects that walk along the ground are ceremonially unclean for you and may not be eaten. But you may eat any winged bird or insect that is ceremonially clean. You must not eat anything that has died a natural death. You may give it to a foreigner living in your town, or you may sell it to a stranger, but do not eat it yourself, for you are set apart as holy to the Lord your God. You must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. So pause there. This is a lot of information that we've heard in the laws before, but remember Moses is re-giving this information to the current Israelites, but why does God have these rules about which animals they can and cannot eat? And why, for example, might the list of birds include a lot of birds of prey? 
why might that make those birds ceremonially unclean? Okay, so the last section for this episode is the giving of tithes, Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. So pause there. Why has God put this law about tithing in place for the Israelites? What are they supposed to give to God? How are they supposed to give these tithes to God? What are they doing with these tithes? And what broader message is this ideal teaching us about giving and having a giving spirit? How is our giving and tithing different now in modern day in light of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and the new covenant coming in to replace and fulfill the old covenant. How does that change the way we look at this scripture? Verse 24, Now when the Lord your God blesses you with a good harvest, the place of worship he chooses for his name to be honored might be too far for you to bring the tithe. If so, You may sell the tithe portion of your crops and herds, put the money in a pouch, and go to the place the Lord your God has chosen. When you arrive, you may use the money to buy any kind of food you want, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, or other alcoholic drink. Then feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and celebrate with your household. And do not neglect the Levites in your town, for they will receive no allotment of land among you. At the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites who will receive no allotment of land among you, as well as to the foreigners living among you, the orphans and the widows in your towns, so they can eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. So pause there. In that section, what other purpose did the tithing serve in society? And what does all of this teaching about tithing teach us about God and how we should position our hearts? Where is God supposed to be? Is he supposed to come first or is he supposed to come after something else? So in modern times where we're living right now, is tithing supposed to be a legalistic thing we have to do to check off on a list? Or is it something we do out of our love for God and a desire to put him first? Okay, so that's where we're going to stop today. And when we pick up next week, we're going to keep going through these laws that Moses is reminding the Israelites of. I hope that you are enjoying going through Deuteronomy as we're going through it a little bit at a time. Um, Keep reaching out. We've got social media. 
and email address and all that good stuff in the description of the podcast. I love hearing from you guys and I am continuing to record as much as I can and it's just honestly been such a huge blessing to hear how many of you out there God is speaking to through this podcast. Um, So I really appreciate that and I hope you're enjoying it and I will talk to you in the next one.